The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. What's up, everybody? Thanks for joining us today. My name's Ken Swanson. This is the AP Laboratory. It's the Mailbag Edition coming at you on a Wednesday, a victorious Wednesday, just a couple days removed from your Kansas City Chiefs establishing their dominance on the AFC against the Baltimore Ravens. And we got plenty of your questions to answer about that game and more. And here to help me do that are my dear pals. First, find them on Twitter at Chief in Carolina. Matthew Lane. Hello, my friend. How you doing today, Kit? Man, it's a good day to be a Chiefs fan. I'm kind of stealing a line from you. It's a good day to be a fan of the world champion Kansas City Chiefs. It absolutely is, and I love how you just drop raining from that and already just predicting or just assuming we're winning the world championship this year, and, you know, I agree with that. So kudos to you. Round of applause. You're welcome. Like you. Doing well. It is a great time to be a Chiefs fan. I really don't have a whole lot else to say about that. I think we got the excitement out last night when we got the podcast out for everybody. Now you guys are getting another podcast from us, so I think we just kind of need to get into the questions quickly. But first... We do have to introduce the most famous, the most handsome, and the smartest member of this podcast, Craig Stout, Hollywood Hop. How are you doing this evening, buddy? I was doing a lot better before that intro. I was just getting ready to say that I I get the pleasure of talking to these two gentlemen for the second night in a row on a Zoom chat, but now, now I'm regretting it a little bit. I might just take off, guys, let you guys just go ahead and handle this then. If, if anyone if anyone deserves it, it's Craig Stout. No, you stop that. <laughs> you A man stop of that. many talents, many abilities. Uh, let's just jump into the questions, please. Let's just let's let's just not embarrass Craig any further. Uh, I do want to give a shout out to Houseball Two Eighty Nine for the very nice five star review. Thank you so much for that. Uh, if you like our if you like our show. If you want to leave a five-star review, if you want to ask a question, you can ask a question on uh, with your five-star review. We'll answer it. Um, but we got some APNerdSquad at gmail.com questions. That's another alternative. If you want to get your questions in, you can Gmail us. And Derek did that and asks, there were one or two plays that made me think Thornhill took some baby steps this week back to his old form. What do you think, Craig? Uh, yeah, yeah, I, he took some steps forward. He still wasn't great, but he looked 
better. Uh, he had a fantastic play against Lamar Jackson in the red zone there, and then he had another play on an angle route against J.K. Dobbins that if he doesn't make the tackle, J.K. Dobbins might still be running. So a couple of really good plays by him. But honestly, that play <laughs> that Nick Boyle got him on there at the end, I don't know if that's tired legs or what it is, man, but he just doesn't seem to have the same oomph you know, really attacking the ball at its high point. We've seen now two weeks in a row him not going up and trying to contend with the ball at the catch point very well. That's something that he was phenomenal at, you know, in college. He was phenomenal at it last year. So I do still have some questions about his recovery. I do want to see the the arc kind of continue from it, but it was definitely a baby step forward this week. For me, I do agree. I think Thornhill made some flashier plays than he had so far, and that was a lot of what he did as a rookie. He had a lot of dynamic, splashy plays. You saw a few more of those, but like Craig said, I think there were scenarios in which he still looked like a guy that didn't either trust his knee 100% or just just wasn't back to his old self from last year. And I think I kind of, just in theory, I haven't gotten all the way through it yet, but I think Juan Thornhill looked the best when he was aggressively attacking downhill. And I think the Chiefs helped him out. They called a lot of coverages that allowed him to just come downhill off the snap. He didn't have to drop back or just kind of sit and sink and then read the play and then react. He just got to start moving from the get-go. And I think that kind of helped him get going a little bit quicker. It allowed him to play faster coming downhill. And I think that's where all of his best plays came from. I think you saw some of the plays that weren't quite as good or when he had to sink a little bit, read what was going on in front of him and then change directions and go, such as the touchdown, a couple late angles on some or bad angles or being late on a couple other ball carriers. So see a little bit more of that. It's good. It's trending in the right direction. But I do think the Chiefs are trying to do things to help him play a little bit faster on the field, such as kind of designing plays that he's moving off the snap towards the line of scrimmage rather than in reverse and waiting for him to read and react. I like what he did when he got downhill, though. I mean, he did make some plays. He was improved as a tackler. That play on Lamar in the, I think it was in the red zone or close to the red zone on third and three. I think it was in the red zone. Third and three. Uh, forced a throwaway, I believe. Really, really nice throw or really nice play from Juan Thornhill. Um, yeah, there was definitely some stuff to be concerned about, too, though, no doubt about it. Uh, coverage, which is, I mean, locating the football, making plays on the football has been his strength in the past and this year not not quite as much uh adam also wrote in to ap nerd squad at gmail.com he said hi guys so that was a heck of a game in which my heart rate never left resting i loved some of the creative plays andy ran on offense definitely seems like he was holding back the last couple weeks do you think there's any chance that late career andy ever opens the vault and just runs all of the a plus creative plays he usually holds on to for a whole season Surely some of those plays he has rattling around in his noggin would haunt him if he ever never actually deployed them, right? I don't think Andy is ever going to open up and run all of his stuff on a week-by-week basis. Like He's not going to show something new every single week. I will say Andy doesn't shy away from being showing some creative plays every single week. I just think that what he does instead is some weeks he just runs his offense and nothing else. He's here's my offense. Here's what I do. Well, let's do this and do better than the other team. Other weeks, like against Baltimore, it looks like he went out of his way to attack their defense in different ways. And that's where it looked like some of that creativity, but even just some 
base level stuff like McCole Hardman's touchdown really paid off. So I don't think you're going to get that Andy every week, but you are going to continue to get fun plays, fun screen plays, fun little fullback tight ends coming through on underhand shovel passes. Like you're going to continue seeing fun stuff like that. Maybe not every week, but often you're just, you're not going to get that a plus plus level game start to finish from the game plan and play calling from Andy Reed when they play inferior opponents. Yeah. He, he likes to get it out against good defensive coordinators. He likes to get it out against, you know, highly regarded offenses, defenses, just to kind of go out there and put a little pressure on those guys and remind everybody that he's Andy F Reed and he's going to come out here and he's going to show you what this is all about. I mean, I was texting with a buddy yesterday before the game. I won't blow up his spot, but he said, you know, I think coach is going to go vanilla. I just don't think that he's going to reveal anything here. I I think that it's too early in the season. I think they're fine with letting this one drop. And play one that the offense ran, I just got an LOL whelp after that one, after Tyreek's end around. So it set the tone early. He definitely got the playbook out against a good opponent there. So it, it's a situation, I think, where we'll see it in spurts. But, like, he's not going to run it against the Broncos this year. I mean, the Broncos are terrible. They're hurt. I know that he ran some of the Poe plays. That's when some I of the know. fun comes out. You're ruining my take. I Okay. Okay. You it's, go. You go. Take your take. Take your take. It's against good teams. And then it's when you're up 40 on an AFC West opponent. I, you see, I think he's going to feel bad. I think he's going to feel bad for the Broncos. They're so hurt. No, he's not. Peyton Manning was there for a few years. He deserves this. You know, they need Eric Fisher throwing a touchdown pass against the Broncos. First chance he gets. The fish year. This should be this should be late in the year, dude. The schedule gets a little easier here. You know, this he's they're gonna be up like forty on the Broncos and Mahomes is gonna throw him behind the back. That's not even a play call. Actually it might be. Andy might have that okay, Pat, here's the play. <laughs> throw it behind your back. Uh, let's jump ahead to the Twitter questions. Uh, you guys had some good jokes. I'm going to read them off. It's, it's more just, it's just, it's just puffing your chest out a little bit. And I like that the readers wanted to puff out the chest a little bit in the mentions. AJ Coleman, what is the next number that Mahomes will count to? Andrew Richard six, more Lamar slander, please. <laughs> Kyle Richardson. Is Patrick LeVon Mahomes the fourth best player in the NFL? <laughs> and Colpe 2 now that we know Lamar isn't on the same level as... Oh, this is a real question, I guess. We got to answer this one. Now that now that we know Lamar isn't on the same level as Patrick LeVon Mahomes, like some media want him, want him to be, who is the next AFC quarterback that Mahomes will vanquish? I guess that since we've already gotten Deshaun Watson out of the way and now Lamar Jackson out of the way and Phillip Rivers out of the way, like I don't really know if there is an AFC quarterback left to vanquish. Like, I mean, I guess it has to be Josh. Al- no, no, no. Ben Roethlisberger. I, the Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes has beat the Steelers once. For some reason, people think Ben Roethlisberger still has it this year. They think that makes the Steelers a competitor. So when the Chiefs line up against them in the playoffs and they beat them by 25 points, then I think we would put this one to rest. But the AFC quarterbacks aren't quite up to the same level as the NFC. Peyton Manning and then Tom Brady. Those are the oh. next two. Those are the next two. 
He done already Craig. done it already. He's just coming for those two now. The John That's Elway slander. Is. Look at this swag He's from Craig Stout. Than John Elway. Get out of here with that John Elway nonsense. Look at Craig just going straight for legacy. Dude, being a world champion looks good on you, my friend. I'm just Thank saying. Uh, the answer is Trevor Lawrence. Captain Corbin asks, how mag- magical was Andy Reid's play calling? Oh, it was phenomenal. I mean, we are roughly 365 days removed from us three sitting here on this podcast, I think a week from now, so not quite 365 days, talking about where did Andy Reid's man beaters go after the Lions game and then the Colts game. We spent a whole week or two talking about how the Chiefs were not doing a good job getting lesser receivers with Tyreek Kill out to beat man coverage, and it actually stalled out their offense quite a bit. Well, look where we are now. The Chiefs took advantage of the Ravens' man coverage consistently over and over again for big plays, short plays, whatever they wanted. They absolutely destroyed the Ravens. The creativity was there. I mean, we're good. everybody's seen and talked about all the fun plays, but just the basics, just the general basic plays, attacking man coverage with mesh concepts, crossers. They got them deep multiple times. Like It was a perfect game plan, game calling by Andy Reid outside of continuing to call plays designed for running backs not named Clyde Edwards-Elair. It was a clinic. It was an absolute clinic by Andy Reid. He put on a show. We got to see a full complement of the playbook. We got a bunch of stuff that Bill Belichick, that Sean McDermott, that a bunch of play, a bunch of teams that are on the Chiefs' schedule coming up now have to prepare for. This is a nightmare scenario for every team in the NFL because you look at what the Chargers did to slow them down. And that's rush four successfully with elite players at those spots. Unless you've got those four, you can't do what the Chargers did. The next best thing is to try and fabricate pressure. Andy put on a show beating the Blitz, beating some of these things that Don Martindale, frankly, just torches other teams with and punishes quarterbacks. Patrick Mahomes looked comfortable all night long. They beat him up. They just... They just straight up beat him, and Andy Reid now has all of this on tape. It's gonna be it's gonna be phenomenal to watch going forward. Don Martindale didn't get a wink of sleep mm-hmm. last night. Uh, the play calling, I yeah, it was it was a master class. They built off of some of the stuff they've done already to this point. They've changed some tendencies, uh, but then they threw some new stuff at people, and they gave them a lot to think about. Um, how how many ways Andy can get into four verts? I don't think we've reached the limit yet. Um, the little L, I know the L was fun, but like I was more geeked out about the return motion into the vertical off of that. Like, you know, Clyde short motions and then just breaks back up field on a vert out of it. Like that's beautiful. Like this, this is stuff I geek about. The Y pop to Travis Kelsey, which essentially I'm going to probably probably clip this play up, but you know, you, we talked about the wide middle screen a couple weeks ago where you're widening to the right and the left and then popping, you know, Travis Kelsey in the middle. They just did the same thing without screen releasing their their offensive linemen. Instead, tra- Travis Kelsey slips under the tackle in the guard and runs that little slip up the field. It's just, it's the same concept, only a different way to get into it. 
And it's the same exact effect, widening and parting the seas and getting one of the best tight ends in the world lost. That's what great I, – I say it all the time on this podcast. The best play callers in the world get their best players lost. And the Chiefs are better than anyone in the world at doing it. Larry McCammon asks, please explain how is it an illegal snap infraction on the center when a play doesn't start until the ball is snapped by the center. Also, happy retirement, Larry. Yeah, um, that's a situation where Matt Gura hiked the ball, thought Lamar Jackson was under center, and then just held it basically back there behind himself and then dropped it. I'm not sure the exact official rule by that, but it's not like typically when you see that happen, it's because they'll start to snap and then stop and try and reset the ball. And that's usually when it's called. Skura actually hiked the ball. Like he fully moved the ball back there and then dropped it. In my opinion, that's a fumble. And it should have been a fumble because he let the ball go behind him and it was picked up obviously and everything like that. But it's a situation I felt like there was a blown call by them. I don't know if they thought they saw a motion or if they just were so surprised by the herky-jerky motion by Skura there. Captain Danny asks, week one versus the Jags, the Chiefs broke a team. Did we just watch the breaking of the Ravens? I don't think so. The team's too talented and too well coached to fall apart after this. I think they're going to hang a 40-point victory on the Washington football team, and nobody will remember this a week from now. When the teams face each other again in the playoffs, the narrative will be how the Ravens are a nightmare matchup for the Chiefs yet again. But the Chiefs did break a team. And they did it last year in the playoffs. They broke the Houston Texans in 38 different ways. They destroyed them so bad, they traded their best offensive player away for a running back that was on an awful contract. They replaced that wide receiver with a bunch of guys that had the exact same skill set they already had. And now they've started the season 0-3. Granted, they played a very hard schedule, but... The Houston Texans are the team the Chiefs already broke. The Ravens will be fine. They're gonna they're one of the three best teams in the AFC. They might be behind the Buffalo Bills for me right now, but they're one of the three best teams in the AFC, and I think they're gonna be just fine going forward. Patrick Mahomes broke the Jags, I believe it was two years ago in the rain, and Clayus Campbell was on that team too. I'm just saying. Uh we're gonna take a break and we'll be back with more of your questions right after this. All right, we are continuing to answer your great questions on Twitter. Again, I I, I want to make sure, apologies if we don't get to all the questions. There are some repetitions. We got a lot of Sneed questions. We got a lot of Cam Newton questions. The Cam Newton questions will be answered in the game preview later in the week. Uh, we got we got some duplicates, but we're going to try to get through as many of these questions as we can. DW Overdrive asks, what was Spags able to do schematically to provide support to the linebackers? I was very worried about that group on run fits, tackling, and covering, and it just didn't seem to matter. Uh, they kind of absolved the linebackers of some of their coverage responsibilities, ran a lot more man coverage and tasked a safety with, uh, with running backs out of the backfield, with line safeties up over tight ends, ran a lot more cover zero because of that, which meant that they just got to send the linebackers more downhill in a lot of these snaps. That absolved them of having to read the play and react to it. That made them play faster, 
you know, as you would expect there. That means they got to plug gaps a little bit better. They created a little more problems for the Ravens. Now the Ravens still ran better. That was still a part of this, but it meant that they got to blitz a little more effectively. They got to keep Lamar Jackson a little bit better in the pocket so that he didn't scramble quite as much as we've seen him do to some other teams. I just feel like that they were overall a little bit better because they got to play a little more aggressive going downhill. That definitely suits Anthony Hitchens. He's a guy that looked particularly good doing it. It should have suited Willie Gay and Damian Wilson as well. They didn't look quite as good doing it, but those are the types of situations that you want the Chiefs linebackers to have to, you know, play like. I don't know if that's something that we can expect going forward because as they run into other teams that are going to throw the ball a little bit more, they're going to get put a little more in that run-pass conflict. They confused the heck out of the Baltimore Ravens quarterback, which made their coverage responsibility significantly easier. They made Lamar Jackson unsure who was coming, who was dropping, where they were dropping to, was it man, was it zone. Lamar Jackson was playing slow mentally for the majority of the game, which means if the linebackers are a step slow in their coverage, it doesn't matter because so the so is the ball. As far as their run defense, it was really good. They're, Craig nailed it. They helped them out a ton by the way they were using them playing off the defensive line. I also think it helps a little bit that the Ravens run game was mostly done off of kind of misdirection. So it just meant that the Chiefs defensive scheme, their plan to stop the run, the scrape exchanges, the gap exchanges, different things they were doing could be run exactly like that. I think the Chiefs get in the most trouble when teams just run the ball at them and these linebackers have to make quick decisions on where they need to fill their gaps and then how to get there quickly. The Ravens, when they utilize all this misdirection, yeah, they're still dealing with a lot of speed, but you have a little bit of grace that if you're just following your assignment, you can still get there at a good time compared to if the play's hitting you quickly. So I actually think that works into the Chiefs' favor that the Ravens' run game is so advanced and it does work on misdirection so much. Those guys did a great job not taking the cheese for the most part. There was a few plays where Ben Neiman or Damian Wilson got, you know, lost contained, got a little out of control. But for the most part, they followed their assignments. The Ravens, a little bit slower developing run game that they were relying on, let those linebackers get to their spots quickly. Cabron Brames asks, barring injury, do you still think LeJarrius Sneed keeps the cornerback two job when Bashad Breeland comes back? Could we see Breeland in the slot? Fortunately, it sounds like LeJerry Sneed, we'll find out more in another day or two what's going on with his injury, but it seems like he did leave the game. He might be a little injured, so the barring injury part may be coming, it may be happening. He might lose his job because of an injury. That said, if he was healthy, no. Zero chance he gave up his job to Bashad Breland. I don't know if you could even give his job up to Traverius Ward as well as he played, but if you do have Ward and and, uh, Sneed starting on the outside and Breland came back, it would be interesting to see how they use them. I do think Bashad Breland's really good on the outside on early downs versus the run versus the screens. He's better than Snead in that regard. But I really like what the Chiefs have for their nickel and their dime packages already without using another corner with using Tedrick Thompson and or Dan Sorensen. I think you might see Breland split some reps with those guys. I think Snead would be the guy that kicks inside in that Kennedy scenario and not Breland. But you could see Breland get on the field in those spots. 
Yeah, especially with what Spagnolo likes to do with his slot defenders. That's, that's a situation where they like to <laughs> run that guy all over the field. And as we've seen from Legereus Sneed through three weeks, he's a guy that's very good in space. He's very good reading the way that the play is flowing, the way that the routes are flowing, and jumping stuff. The, the play that he got hurt on is something that he came from the backside and just kept flowing when two Ravens players ran into each other and should have come up with an interception there. He has been phenomenal. I will say this. I'm very curious. Once Charvarius Ward is healthy, once Legarius Need is healthy, and they get back on the field together, who kind of sticks in that CB1 role? This week, it was very clear the Chiefs wanted to give Charvarius Ward a rest. That's why it was Rashad Fenton and Legarius Need on the outside here. But they had some looks where they would kick down. I'm going to write about it in my article that's posting today. That they kick down in some looks and their 4-3 base defense with Chris Jones as a defensive end, two heavy defensive tackles, and only one corner moving Juan Thornhill out to the corner spot, kind of over a tight end there. Legereus Sneed was that guy. And then when they continued to do it later on in the game after Legereus Sneed went out, it was Rashad Fenton. So in that regard, Charvarius Ward was the guy behind the guy. So I'm very curious to see when those two guys get back in there what the hierarchy is. Because frankly, Legereus Sneed has played good enough to be CB1 if he comes back healthy. Yeah, it remains to be seen. If he does miss some time... I think that's going to put him behind the eight ball regardless of the situation because I do think there's going to be, you know, uh, I, they're probably going to want to just lean on the vet at that point is my worry. I think just be just, and it's nothing that Legereus needs done. Like I'm sure he'll still get to play. I just wonder if it's a little bit more challenging for him to get all of his snaps back just because it's a familiarity thing. You know, Bashad Breeland was a big piece of a championship roster. And if LeJerry Sneed is missing time, that's time he's wasting and losing, you know, kind of growing and developing. And I could see that could just be a, a reason to, to maybe play a little safe with a veteran. And Russell, 2018, is LeJerry Sneed the most valuable pick from the 2020 draft? At this point in time, I think the easy answer has to be yes just because of the position he plays being a cornerback even in this system is more important than being a linebacker or a running back I do think that Clyde Edwards-Alaire has been everything that you would have expected and more that just speaks to how good Legereus Sneed had been I think Clyde had been a little bit better if you were to just give them a numeric grade between the two, but just weighing for the position of cornerback and the fact that Andy has gotten production out of other running backs, so on and so forth in the past. I'd say Snead, as of right now, is the most valuable pick for the Chiefs. Hopefully, Willie Gay starts to push him, though, here in a little bit. Yeah, it it's Snead. I, I think that it's pretty simple that it's Snead. Clyde is great. Clyde is going to be great for the Chiefs. But Legereus Need with the expectations versus what he's done on the field for the Chiefs defense so far and how Spags has felt comfortable using him so far makes him an incredibly valuable pick. Looper Trooper asks, McCole Hardman seemed to look like a more complete receiver this week. Even his deep shot was more than just a go route. What are your thoughts on his outing? Also, what do you make of the fact that Demarcus Robinson had zero targets? Seems like Mahomes at least trusts Hardman over Robinson. Um, no, I think, you know, 
McCole Hardman, I think you're kind of seeing a little bit more opportunity here for him, which I think, you know, obviously this was this was the week that he popped. I said it before the game. You know, he's due for one. Every three or so games, McCole Hardman pops off a long touchdown. Now, normally there's not a ton in between that. Maybe a manufactured touch, you know, touch pass on the motion. Um, but he, I think you are starting to see him get a little bit more opportunity, a little bit more trust. Demarcus Robinson still outsnapped McCole Hardman, so I don't think the trust is entirely there. I don't think Mahomes trusts Hardman more than Robinson yet, but Mahomes gave Hardman some opportunities down, you know, down the field, a couple plays, and Hardman capitalized on one of them. So, you know, it's it's taken some time. I, there's positive indicators that McCole Hardman's starting to get a little bit more opportunity, um, and he's capitalized on some stuff the last two weeks. I think part of this week was matchup specific, and I've talked about it a couple times now. I don't think the Chiefs specifically go out of their way to attack every defense they play. They did the Ravens. Part of how they've beaten the Ravens the last two times before this they played them, they hit big shots. They hit deep shots down the middle. You're going to play man-to-man coverage versus the Chiefs, and you're going to blitz, get some speed on the field, attack them over the top. It's a very aggressive defense, has aggressive corners, has a new starting free safety. You're going to get over the top. I think that's why you see Hardman get on the field a little bit more and get a few more plays designed specifically for him. I still want to say, though, I don't think McCall Hardman gets a lot of action, whether targets or receptions, in the flow of the offense. It's either a play designed for him, and it works out, or it's a broken play. That's the only time McCall Hardman's getting passes. He's not getting a lot of receptions or looks as a second or third read. That's something he still needs to come up on. His route tree needs to be developed. His ability to play in different positions needs to continue to develop. His ability to be consistent versus different coverages. I think that's why you still see Demarcus Robinson get more reps overall. But it is a good thing to see McCall Hardman have this big game. Just you want to see more consistency. And I really do think this one was a matchup specific thing. They knew they were going to get some big play opportunities versus the Ravens. Especially when you've got Marcus Peters uh, biting on Tyree Kill flashing in front of him. And he just doesn't have the speed to keep up with McCall Hardman there. I've, one of my favorite plays from McCall Hardman this week was just simply on a little comeback that he had. Just right past the sticks. Picked up the first down. It was a seven-yard route. But the way that the Ravens were covering these guys, giving them space, didn't want to challenge them at the line of scrimmage. I believe you even heard Lewis Riddick talking about that on the broadcast. you got to come up and challenge him. They weren't because they were terrified of the Chiefs' speed, and the Chiefs made them pay. They had a couple of those comeback routes. McCole Hardman had one of them. I said this offseason, those are the types of things that he has to integrate into his game if he wants to be a key part of this offense. This is a good step forward. You want to see more of that. You want to see that advance. That's very good. DeMarcus Robinson had one target on the day. This is the situation that Chiefs fans have been asking for. He's just got to keep it up. Keep it going. Keep staying consistent. Brandon422 asks, looking ahead at the schedule based on the performances of this team, what teams might beat the Chiefs? Buffalo on Thursday. That's frankly the one that I'm most terrified by. And it's a short week, a very physical team. I think that the Chiefs are going to beat the pants off the Raiders here in two weeks. And then it's a short week against a really, really good Buffalo Bills team. 
So uh, that's realistically the only one. Uh, the Saints are a little bit scary just because of Alvin Kamara and the way the Chiefs linebacking core is defending some of these guys, but nobody else really scares me. There's nobody else that's really good enough to scare me as a Chief fan, especially when they're putting performances like they did against the Ravens. Tampa could be pretty tough too, uh, but eh. Buffalo... Oh, <laughs> that's true. Tom could be... Po- Late season, old Tom. By then, that's what happens every year. Uh, other one thought, I totally agree with you on the Bills. It's it's at Buffalo, and obviously there's no fans, but having to travel on a short week, ugh, awful. Uh, Derek Vreeland asks, can we take a moment to recount and celebrate the number of unique formations, new looks, and new play designs on display on Monday night. Hashtag Andy Reid is a genius. They really did just, I mean, it's the volume is part of what you need to appreciate. Like we've talked about the play calling a little bit, but the volume that they threw at Baltimore was really astounding. And they utilized motions a lot more this week than they did. Like everybody was freaking out about the Chiefs barely using any motions last week. They used them all this week. And a bunch of unique ones. I believe in the first 15, like just most of them were utilizing some kind of motion. They were getting Clyde Edwards a layer out and empty. I mean, they were doing, they were throwing a lot of stuff at the at the Ravens, and a lot of it worked. We talked about this a little bit after we recorded the post game podcast for you guys. There was just there was a lot of fun stuff the Chiefs did. One of the things we talked about was you know the four stack formation, how these different ways they were getting into these vertical route concepts. But something else that I was looking at was simply the fact that I think this was the most I've seen Tyree Kill lined up in the backfield since he was a, since his rookie year. And I think it really did throw the Ravens for a little bit of a loop. They were confused how to deal with that speed, just sprinting out of the backfield into the flat. You saw some big plays come off of that. So yeah, Andy Reid said, okay, I'm going to run my offense, but I'm also going to tailor it to how to beat you guys. And then we are going to throw everything at you. And I mean, the Ravens defense, they had a lot of miscommunications. I said it before the game that those linebackers, the new safeties working together, weren't the strongest part of the team. The middle of the field was wide open. The Chiefs not only beat them all over the middle of the field, they beat them everywhere. But I think you saw repeatedly Patrick Queen, LJ Fort, uh, Deshaun Elliott, all those guys had different blown coverages the Chiefs took advantage of. And I don't think it was by accident that the Chiefs were getting this many blown coverages. JP Phillips asks, Clyde Edwards-Alaire looked pretty good last night. Is the usage from that game about what we should expect going forward? Or do you think his role will change as the season goes on? I think that this is more or less what we should expect. I thought it was a very good night for Clyde. I thought he was used very effectively in the passing game. I thought that he looked good running the ball. There are several of those plays that were whistled dead long before Clyde was down. I I just love the way that he keeps his legs churning and just kind of pins around like a bowling ball there. it's a I, I do think that we're going to see more matchup-specific stuff in the middle of the field going forward against some different linebacking cores that, frankly, aren't as fast as the, as the Baltimore Ravens are. I like how they were able to exploit some of those linebackers on the outside in the flat and you know some of those wheel routes up the sidelines. He was very, very good. I think that with the amount of weapons that the Chiefs have on this team, that kind of game out of Clyde you know, consistently would just be outstanding for this offense week after week. 
M-I-Z Alex 17 asks, how did you think Mike Remmers did filling in for Andrew Wiley? I thought it was good that I didn't notice him. I think Mike Remmers held his own. I think he stepped in on short notice and did a pretty good job catching up to things early on. You know, there was a few miscues early on that they were able to correct during the play, after the drive, little things like that. I think in the run game, he was definitely a step back from Wiley, which is interesting because I would have pinned Wiley as probably the weakest run blocker through the first two weeks. So I do think Rimmers was even another step back from that. But I think he caught on to our system relatively quickly. He was not a liability in any way, shape, or form. It wasn't the best pure pass rush the Chiefs are going to face, but I think he held his own. That's something to feel good about. I don't think he's going to be challenging a healthy Andrew Wiley to take his starting spot anytime soon, though. Chief Lutz 11 asks, what needs to be fixed or adjusted with running for short yardage? Is it the line or the running backs? Look, it's going to happen sometimes, uh, especially when you run the exact same play. That's what the Chiefs did. They tried the little give to Anthony Sherman. They ran that successfully against the Texans. A really aggressive situation going for it on a fourth and short in their own territory. Um or in uh yeah in their own territory like it was a it was a very aggressive move for them to try to do that they went for it at the 50 yard line again they ran the same play offset eye give to Sherman and they tried to run it into the teeth of one of the best run defenses in the National Football League uh, up front so i mean it, what needs to be fixed variety they just need to build that package up a little different if they're going to keep running the exact same play i'm not a big fan of that um, and obviously, I mean, there's going to be some inconsistencies along the offensive line too. I mean, that this, this isn't the best group in the world along the interior. You're trusting the guys like Austin Ryder and Mike Remmers to get enough of a push to generate a yard. The love bat asks, do you think taco Char- Charlton has been unbusting this year with his play? The weirdest part to me about the taco being a bust thing is he's been a competent starter or a decent role player for the two teams he's been on already, or two of the three teams he had been on already. like He hadn't been a bad player yet. He just couldn't stick. And I do think part of that was his attitude or effort off the field. So the fact that if the Chiefs are getting him to give 100% all the time, then yeah, that kind of does help remove that bust label. But Taco's never been terrible when on the field. He maybe didn't live up to his first round hype, but when you're churning through teams so quickly, it's hard to. I think for the Chiefs so far, he's been very good as a pass rush specialist. Maybe that's where he's always going to be in the NFL. He might not be a guy that's a full-time player, even though I do think he has the physical ability to play the run pretty well. But I do think he's going to earn himself a quality payday for some team, maybe even the Chiefs, because it doesn't look like he's getting the opportunity to get that big Emmanuel Ogba pay bump. So he might even get another year with the Chiefs or a couple years, but... I think he's setting himself up well to have a solid next contract coming up because he is playing quite well so far. Max Chief 30 asks, when will we get to see an appearance from Rant Swanson? Uh, you got a positive rant last night. We we had some Lamar jokes, and we had a little bit of fun at the expense of the Baltimore Ravens, so you got a little bit of that. But here's the thing. Rant Swanson comes about out when the Chiefs stink. And I don't think the Chiefs are going to stink this year. And I don't think they're really going to be out of the race for the number one seed for the entirety. If something happens and something stupid happens, we might have to Chiefs to visit. But this team's good. This team's really good. And they got a lot of grace. And there's no reason to be upset because of the world champions last year. That's really just the truth of it. Andrew Nagel, too. 
What was the difference in the D this week? They looked so much better. Was it Spag's plan? Was it an overhyped Raven to the offense or the return of MV Pinnell? Even the linebackers seem to be playing much better this week. Much to the chagrin of MV Pinnell fans out there, he was just fine. Like, I, I don't think that he presented anything super special that sort of unified or solidified the front. And obviously, they didn't defend against the run particularly well. I do think that Spagnolo's scheme was very good this week. I I liked the blitzing. He blitzed almost 40% of the time against the Ravens. Basically just said to Lamar, we're bringing the heat. You figure it out. And he didn't. Um, I don't know that the Ravens offense was necessarily overhyped. I think maybe Lamar Jackson was overhyped. I think we got to see what happens when you put Lamar Jackson in a hole yet again. Does not handle it well. He does not do well with it. When you take the running threat away from Lamar Jackson, you present the defense with much fewer options. You kind of limit what Lamar can do in the passing game there. What makes him special is the ability to come off a play action, bootlegs, faking things with all this window dressing. If you're expecting pass, all of a sudden, you're not worried about all that extra window dressing. You're worried about keeping him in the pocket. You're worried about forcing him to make accurate throws, and he struggled with that this week. And then when he did make some accurate throws the few times he did this week, his receivers tended to drop him. So it wasn't a good performance by the Ravens' offense, but you're seeing what happens to that team when they are put in a hole. They just don't have the same ability to bounce back. They don't have the same ability to put it all together, click, and score points in the same way that us Chiefs fans have started to come become used to now. We're never worried when Mahomes is in a hole. If you're a Ravens fan, you should be worried when Lamar is in a hole. Yeah, I think the Chiefs clearly went out and designed a game plan to stop Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens based on the offense that they had been running against quality opponents like Lamar Jackson the Ravens they destroy poor opponents when they've played quality teams their passing game has not been very good the Chiefs have taken that and they've kind of rolled it up into the perfect Baltimore Ravens offensive stopping game plan like they do a fantastic job from their defensive ends once they beat their offensive tackle or the blocker they don't just keep trying to push for depth in the pocket or close on Lamar they slow down. They wait for him to react, and then they try to chase him. They did a good job controlling rush lanes. Having linebackers simply just play their assignments rather than trying to react to what's happening in front of them. The inversion of guys playing deep, dropping underneath, guys underneath dropping deep. Everything they did, I think you're going to see a lot of teams try to do going forward because it worked perfectly to slow down the Ravens. They never looked like they had their footing underneath them unless they were trying to run the eight-minute offense down two to three scores in the second half. And so as long as you get out to that early lead or even the game's close, just try to make them figure it out. And that's going to do it for this week's mailbag edition of the Arrowhead Pride Laboratory Mailbag. Thank you all so much for listening. Make sure to catch us later this week the arrowhead pride game preview edition we have so much going on in the arrowhead pride laboratory and on the ap pod channel make sure you're tuning in we'll catch you later